Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence in this place and for your presence in our lives. Please come and speak your word to us in ways that we can understand it and help us to live it out. Amen. Um, I played football regularly into my early 40s. Uh, Whether that was sensible or not is another matter. Uh, I severed a cruciate ligament in my right knee, uh, the posterior, playing football as far back as 1996. That, That led to my first arthroscopy on the same knee. I didn't run at all for several years afterwards, apart from chasing after our kids, until a gentle game of soccer with one of my uh, colleagues and his two sons convinced me that actually it could be okay. In Bletchley, I got dragged into a charity football game. As I both survived it and enjoyed it, with, survived it without injury, I then started playing five-a-side. I loved it. But it's fair to say that my ankles particularly and my knees did not on the whole. I kept getting minor injuries that would take me out for five or six to eight weeks. One of the guys I played with said I had more comebacks than Frank Sinatra. Two further arthroscopies followed on the same knee about 18 months apart after I twice tore the cartilage in my right knee. I did try to go, uh, try and go back even then, but there was a moment in that middle of the last game where I found myself thinking, I'm so worried about my knee, I don't want to tackle. It hurts so much, I don't want to shoot, and I've lost my burst. Why are you here, you idiot? Everything you enjoy about the game, you can no longer do. Why do I tell you all this, apart from just to get it off my chest? Simply because each time I had an operation, I had to go back to basics. I'd have to do the exercises more than once each day for weeks on end. I'd have to stand on my wobble board to try and recover the muscles and my balance over and over again, and then very gently start to jog again, building it up over time. It's hard when you're rehabbing an injury to know what's good pain and what's bad pain, to know when you're risking further injury and to know when it's right to push through it. That can be quite a struggle. It's often said that injury lasts longer in the mind than in the body. It takes time, time and lots of patience and determination. Sometimes it takes weeks for the running motion to become anything like smooth again. There were very many times when it felt like I was having to learn to run again. But since I stopped playing football more than 10 years ago, I have avoided significant leg injuries. There is a rather clear connection there, and I've managed since then to run thousands of miles. Uh, Please don't think I'm especially great at it. Those I have passed while running on the common will know I don't exactly zip past. And I confess to you I am a mammal, a middle-aged man in lycra. And I've, maybe, I, I've never run even a half marathon, let alone attempted something as frankly bonkers as an Ironman. Or was it a double Ironman I see you, Pete? Would a double Ironman that you did last year or a while ago? If you want to know that, how, how far is that, Pete? It's, it's a double marathon... How far on the bike? Um, I don't know. 
580k? 180k. 180k. Okay. So two miles swim, 108 miles on the bike, and then a marathon. That's insane. Please pray for Pete and pray for Kath and for the rest of the family. That's insane. However, I, I do nothing like that, and I would never attempt it. But I am devoted to running. I run three or four times a week. That commitment helps shape my life. I'm sure I'm not alone. It, it might not be running, I'm, but I'm sure you've all made similar commitments to something at one time or another. Maybe to something crafty you would do with your hands. Maybe it's to your garden. Commitments that give energy and impetus to your life. Well, that Luke suggests, Luke wrote Acts just in passing. Well, that Luke suggests should characterise our discipleship should characterise the way we follow Jesus. That's what being a disciple should look like. Luke uses the word devoted in Acts 2.42, that the first disciples were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. The word Luke uses means continued steadfastly in. It doesn't describe emotional temperature, but settled commitment. It's not about how hot we feel, but how set we are as we follow Jesus. Like my devotion as a runner, and particularly to rehabbing after injury, Luke wants us to understand that our discipleship has to have that kind of shape. I wonder how devoted we've been over the last year or so. Life has not been very easy for many of us. Life has been forced to change and to continue to change in ways that were unimaginable two years ago. Life has been dogged by uncertainty. And sometimes when you're living, you're living with uncertainty, but others around you are not, we're all living with uncertainty together. It's almost become the air that we breathe. And it continues. Step four seems unlikely to happen on June the 21st. As lives continue to be reshaped, I guess, settled patterns, settled rhythms of devotion and discipleship have been disrupted. Disrupted to one degree or another for nearly all of us. What was working for many hasn't always worked during the pandemic or has worked less well. If I ask asked you how devoted have you been over the last year or so, I guess that many of us would say not as devoted as before. Now I know there will be some who have grown despite the pandemic. I also know that many of us have struggled to stay in rhythm, struggled to remain devoted, struggled to keep a pattern of discipleship working well. And that's why we're going back to basics during the Devoted series, running over the next six or seven weeks. We're going back to basics and asking, basically, how do we learn to run again? If we're new to all of this, we're simply asking, what does a devoted lifestyle look like? If we've lost our way a bit, we're asking without any judgment, how do we find it again? And if you're doing really well yourself, I think the invitation to you is, 
how can you share that fruitfully with others? And we're seeking to do all of this together, either in our existing small groups or in community coming together just for this time that we'll meet together here each Wednesday evening, and that can also be joined online. So as a beginning this morning, what does being devoted look like? First, devoted to the apostles' teaching. Devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles passed on what they had learned from their master. They'd have told stories about what Jesus did, told the stories of the miracles and the healings that they'd seen, told stories about seeing people delivered, people like Legion, told stories about people like Bartimaeus being given back their sight, told stories about Peter walking on the water towards Jesus and then nearly sinking but being rescued, being pulled back onto the surface of the water to stand there with Jesus. And they would have taught crucially about the cross and the resurrection. And they would have passed that on, passed that on, along with loads of reflection about how those key events, uh, in those key events, God kept all of his promises in Jesus. And they'd have passed on Jesus' teaching about what God is really like, about how God's kingdom actually works, about how to relate to God in prayer, and about how to stand against wrongdoing, a wrong teaching as Jesus did against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the first church drank it all in. They were devoted to learning all they could about Jesus, his teaching, his wonders, his significance. And they did this together. Verse 46 talks about them coming together day by day, whether in their homes or at the temple. And all of that comes to us, comes to us through their writing. The New Testament is really a distillation of the apostles' teaching. It gathers up everything we need to know about Jesus. It's a privilege to have it. For in the words of the Old Testament, rooted and grounded in the history and the teaching of the Old Testament, we have our Father, God, and the world, ourselves, and everything in it described. No book is more significant. No book is more authoritative. No book brings more life and more utter truth into the world. It is on this book and the realities it describes on which we take our stand as Christians for now and for always. Even in these times so dislocated by the pandemic, for now and for eternity. It's under its authority that we stand. It's on its truth that we take our stand. It is through its truth that we learn to know God. Therefore, there is no real Christian discipleship, no devoted life which is not devoted to the Scriptures. I wonder how devotion to the Apostles' teaching gets expressed in your life as a follower of Jesus. It might be through reading Bible reading notes each day, such as the ones that Emlyn and Tricia Williams edit for Scripture Union. It might be through using an app like Lectio 365, which I know many people use. It includes a reflection on a passage each day and invites you to pray the truth of Scripture. It's really easy to download for all smartphones. 
It might be through reading and and praying scripture with others in a small group context or another supportive network. It might be through reading a series like Tom Wright's commentaries on books of the Bible. They're just called things like Luke for Everyone. There are lots and lots of other ways that you can do this. No judgment. Let's look forward. Even if things haven't been as you want them to be, focus on how things will be from now. In what ways can devotion to the apostles' teaching be expressed more fully in your life from here on? Second, devotion to living it out. Devotion to living it out. I remember years ago doing the first session of a training course. It wasn't here, and it was for potential service leaders and preachers. I'd introduced everything that we wanted to cover over the next few weeks. Everyone looked at least mildly interested. But the final thing I showed them before we started was a copy of the rotor. And I showed them the gaps that I had left for them to fill over the next month to six weeks. I I did it because I wanted them to know I'd made space for them to have a go, that I believed in them and that they weren't learning this for nothing. But I had no idea at all just what an edge that would bring to our learning together. They went swiftly from mildly interested to thoroughly engrossed. Why? Not because I'd become a better teacher, but because they realised they were going to have to do something with what they were learning. This wasn't academic in the pejorative sense of unnecessary and unrelated to life. Far from it, they were learning stuff they were going to have to use. Use, moreover, in church among their friends. And that meant learning was suddenly really significant. They were all over it. I was taken aback at the intensity with which they approached the training. The questions they were asking were full on. They were, you know, right in my face because suddenly the answers really mattered. They were devoted to living it out. Everything they prepared to do in practice on that course, they took with great seriousness because learning mattered and learning mattered because they were going to use it. In contrast, often learning does not. I love Springwatch. I was amazed to discover this week that there are woodlarks as well as skylarks in the UK. Who knew? I learned from Springwatch how to tell a bird I have never seen apart from one that I have rarely seen. And to learn that a grey partridge can have as many as 18 chicks all at the same time. I learned so much from Springwatch that I really, really will never need to know. It's just information that's academic, that has no possible bearing on my daily life. It might have been, if I'm honest, 13 chicks a grey partridge can have, not 18. But if I remember that wrongly, it really doesn't matter very much. In fact, if I'm really honest, I can't even remember if it was a grey partridge. In some ways, we have learned in our culture not to learn. To think of learning as the gathering of information, as about grey partridges and woodlarks. Or learned perhaps that learning often doesn't really matter. But learning is supposed to be about changed behaviour. 
It might be equipping us with a new skill. It might be um, honing old ones. It might be equipping us with a new truth or perspective. But learning is supposed to be about living it out. Now, I can know the theory about forgiving someone. But actually doing so when I'm hurting is hard, really hard. But that's what putting it into practice means. And that's the only way that we find that when we follow through and live as God requires, we find God's solace in that. Because God is pleased when we forgive. Knowing the theory of forgiveness means nothing if we won't live it out. I can know about persisting in prayer like the widow pastoring the unjust judge. But actually doing so, actually committing, uh, continuing to believe for breakthrough and to persist in praying for it when an answer hasn't yet come and we're not seeing change yet, that's what it means to live it out. I can know about trusting God. I can know about seeking first the kingdom of God. But actually doing so, actually placing my anxieties and fears into God's hands, trusting that he will come through for me, that's what it means to live it out. During the pandemic, honestly, I've struggled sometimes to get to that place. Struggle to find and receive God's comfort so that I can then hopefully comfort others in his name. Sometimes it's taken a long time in prayer to get to a place of peace in God's presence. But I can't preach it if I can't live it out or at least intend to do so as far as in me lies in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So I know this is easier to say than to do. But moving from just knowing to actually doing is what discipleship is. That's what matters. So where are we needing to live out the apostles' practice? What spiritual truths are we actually treating as though they're no more important than the number of chicks a grey partridge can have? Where are we learning but not heeding the apostles' teaching? Third, devoted to the Spirit. Devoted to the Spirit. This sermon risks being unbalanced. I've stressed our need to be devoted, but I need to balance that by stressing at the same time the dependence of the apostles on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. It's not doing stuff for God, it's doing stuff with God. It's about learning to cooperate with him, learning to depend on God's grace, learning to work with the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. The devoted community mentioned in verse 42 is is brought into being not by their devotion. It's brought into being by the outpouring of the Spirit of Pentecost. It's also the one, the devoted community, in which everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles at the end of our second reading. It's on that community where the building is shaken and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
to follow the apostles' teaching and practice means welcoming and depending on the presence of the Holy Spirit. Nothing less than that is biblical. That's part of being devoted to the apostles' teaching and practice. And here again, we need to put our beliefs into practice. For it's much easier to accept that the New Testament teaches about spiritual gifts than to try and put them into practice. Because the latter requires us to work with the Spirit, to depend on his presence and power in the moment, to follow his leading, to expect him to meet us as he prompts and to trust that he will meet the needs of those for whom we're praying. It's easy to accept that God might want to speak. It's easier to accept that God might want to speak than to accept that God might want to speak through you. That God might have a message for someone else that he wants you to give. To accept that we can be part of that process. To listen to God for someone else or for the church takes humility. It takes courage. It takes trust spiritual gifts are supposed to be practice realities not academic ideas and you might say well we might get it wrong well yes we might but we'll never get it right if we're never prepared to have a go we'll only learn through doing I can tell you there is one certain way to ensure that no one ever gets healed through praying and that's never to pray for them in the first place. The only way it will ever happen is if we're prepared to step in and have a go. A lady called Helen from our last church contacted us out of the blue last year. She wanted to share with us a blog post uh, that she'd written. And it was about uh, an over 50s weekend away that Sarah and I had led. And rather than, I, I got to the end of what I, I was I prepared to say and I was just just waiting on the Lord and I was thinking well we could do this we could do that and just felt prompted to do something I'd never done before which was to get the experts the prayer ministry team to get the experts to stand at the front but rather than to get people to come to the experts to pray for them to pray for the pray for them I asked them to gather around the experts and to pray for them I got the people who knew nothing about this, who were really uncertain, who lacked confidence, who thought it was nothing to do with them to lay hands on the experts. And Helen, more than 10 years afterwards, her, her blog talked about how transformational that was for her when she saw the Holy Spirit at work in and through her prayers as someone who thought she had nothing to give had no experience that God wouldn't use her to see others being filled with God's presence and power as she prayed for them. It enabled her to have the courage to pray for others and to receive God's power herself. And her blog was about how that, the journey that's gone on from that evening has continued. If we are to be devoted to the apostles' teaching and practice, then I think we need to be prepared to grow in this area as well. Because it was fundamental to the ministry of the apostles in Acts. Certainly when you look at Acts 2 to 8, 
changes a bit in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. But in Acts 2 to 8, what happens is the Holy Spirit does something and then the apostles have to explain what on earth is going on. That's how it works. It's deeds before words. Where, like Helen, do we need to grow in our willingness to work with God, in our faith that God can and will work through us? Where do we need to grow in our desire to receive and to bless others in the power of the Holy Spirit? Lots and lots of things have been shaken by the pandemic. Our patterns of devotion, our rhythms of discipleship are no exception. Some of us have grown. Others of us have been shaken. Many of us have suffered both at the same time. Many of us are out of rhythm. There's no judgment about that. It's been amazingly tough. The question is, what does it look like from here? We are where we are. What does it look like from here? Let's look forward, not back. I think for some of us, it's like learning to run again after an operation. It requires a renewal of our devotion. That might, that might mean renewing our devotion to the apostles' teaching, our devotion to living out our faith, our, our devotion to the Spirit's presence and power. Nothing less than this is true to the apostles' teaching and practice. Nothing less than this is a devoted life. It is to this that the Lord invites us. It is to this that the Lord summons us. So how are we going to rise up and obey? No judgment, an invitation, an invitation to greater fullness in the Lord. Let's just pause for a moment or two. Just invite you to Evaluate and listen to the Lord. Where's the invitation to you this morning? Where are you out of rhythm? What might the Lord be calling you back to or calling you into?